The opening words and the first reading that Jan presented earlier were written in 2020. 2020, fairly recent in one sense, and yet it feels like eons ago. Way back near the beginning of this pandemic, just after things were locked down, and I remember reading these articles and receiving this surge of hope. Neither author in the full articles minimized the pain and suffering that this pandemic brought with it. Yet both saw in the way that the pandemic shook the very foundations of all that we had come to expect as normal. They saw possibility. Possibility not in spite of the disruption, but because of it. You can read it in their titles. The coronavirus is rewriting our imaginations, Kim Stanley Robinson. The pandemic is a portal, Arundhati Roy. This time we are living through, painful as it is, provides an opportunity like we have not experienced before for something better. What felt impossible has become thinkable, Kim Stanley Robinson said. We're getting a different sense of our place in history. Arundhati Roy wrote, coronavirus has made the mighty kneel and brought the world to a halt like nothing else could. It offers us a chance to rethink the doomsday machine we have built for ourselves. We know we're entering a new world, a new era. We seem to be learning our way into a new structure of feeling. I soaked up those messages of hope. I believed in the possibilities of which they spoke. So it is with more than a little sadness that I read them now in 2022, as we near the third year of this pandemic. It is with a little less hope and anticipation. It is with some amount of disappointment. It is with no small amount of apprehension that I ask, what has happened or is happening to these possibilities? Are they still with us? Or are we fated, as Arundhati Roy says, nothing could be worse, are we fated to return to normality? So I revisit this theme, which I have carried over these many months. I again ask myself, what are some lessons we have learned from this pandemic? Looking to rekindle my own hope that something powerful and lasting will arise from this time. Knowing that, as Elizabeth Lesser wrote in the second reading from today, that despair and negativity can spread like a virus too. What have we learned and how do we, how can I, carry these lessons forward? We have learned and are learning something important, crucial, about interdependence. 
Now, that's a word we use a lot in Unitarian Universalism. It's right there in our seventh principle, where we, as congregations, covenant to affirm and promote respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. I don't mean to say that we didn't know about interdependence prior to the pandemic. I am saying that we are having an opportunity to experience it in ways we have not had before. We know about interdependence, but I'm not sure we always acknowledge the gravity of that truth. We sometimes treat it as a sort of kumbaya, feel-good, we're all part of one family sing-along. And then coronavirus comes along and reminds us that interdependence is dangerous if we do not accept it into our very bones and live accordingly. Because many of us get to live our lives somewhat insulated from many of the painful ramifications of interdependence in normality, we sometimes treat the interdependent web as a club we can choose to join and then go home when we're tired. And then coronavirus comes along and reminds us that there is no exit, that what I do will harm or help others and what others do will harm or help me, and that there is no exit ramp and there is no consent involved There are no resignations allowed. Our principle says it beautifully. It does not say we believe in an interdependent web of all existence. It takes the existence of that web as a given. It says realizing we are a part of that web, we will respect it. Do we? Have we? Or has denial of our interdependence been a part of the normality that Arundhati Roy warns us against returning to? Accepting it intellectually, but not allowing the gravity of its ramifications to enter our lives. Nothing could be worse, says Roy, than our continuing denial, conscious or unconscious, of our interdependence with all of life with all existence. And coronavirus has maybe helped us to see why we run from the reality of interdependence because it can be terrifying. Interdependence means I do not have control of it. I must rely on you to do what's best for me and you must rely on me to do what's best for you. Here's how Martin Luther King Jr. described it. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Caught and tied. These aren't pretty words. They aren't meant to be. But they are intended to remind us that there is no escape. Given that reality, how then shall we live? Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We've heard it a thousand times. Sounds a little esoteric, doesn't it? Abstract? Now think of a virus. Anywhere can be a threat to everywhere. 
interdependence is a reality. We hold the power to respect this interdependence, relying on one another and being reliable. Or we can choose to disrespect this interdependence and treat only what's ours as sacred and hold personal freedom above common good, but we cannot decide to opt out of interdependence. Not an option. If we didn't know it, I mean know it, before we do know. And we need only hearken back to this experience if we ever lose touch with it again. We know it now. Or we did. Can we hold on to that? I am reminded of the words of Dorothy Day speaking of the immediate aftermath of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake as a kind of utopia because of the free-flowing, active compassion displayed by human beings toward one another. While the crisis lasted, she wrote, People loved each other. While the crisis lasted. And then? I read those words in a book by Rebecca Solnit entitled A Paradise Built in Hell. The Extraordinary Communities That Arise in Disaster. In which she shows how crises Disasters, tragedies shared by a great number of people, these circumstances often have the power to broaden understanding of what community means. We say, I will be there for you. And the you expands beyond family, beyond friends to include community, to include people we have never met and may not choose as friends. And yet we suddenly experience our inextricable connection to them. There are no other people's heartaches. There are no other people's injuries. There are no other people's children. There were moments like that. Moments where it felt like we could almost grasp what that may look like. Moments when we saw clearly that the normal world was upside down in the way that Naomi Klein once described acting as if there is no end to what is actually finite, the real limits to what the earth can take, and as if there are strict and immovable limits to what is actually bountiful, the financial resources to build the kind of society we need. And there were moments when it felt like we were ready to change things, to not only acknowledge, but to honor our connections and to love each other while the crisis lasted. We are still in crisis, but it is an ongoing crisis, and we are in a later season from the one in which Kim Stanley Robinson and Arundhati Roy wrote those hopeful lines, imagining what might arise from it all. We are, as Elizabeth Lesser notes, moving from the great slowdown, which, as its name implies, left opportunity for reflection on our own lives and the workings of our society to what may be called the great meltdown. 
which has often been marked by angry, frustrated cries for getting things going again, regardless of what ripples that sends out along the interdependent web of all existence. And listen, I understand that people are hurting. I understand that the most vulnerable among us in our local communities, our country and across the world, have suffered the most in this pandemic, just as they did before the pandemic. I know the great slowdown did not provide everyone a period where they could indulge deep reflection on the nature and values of our societies, but what I am saying is that what was true before the pandemic and now during the pandemic may not need to be true for the future. That the most vulnerable among us suffer the most from the irresponsible decisions of people who are insulated from the consequences of those decisions. We could truly embrace the ramifications of our interdependence and realize that we have the financial resources, the human resources, the spiritual and ethical and emotional resources to build the kind of society we need. And that we are not doing it for them. There is no them. There are no other people's heartaches. There are no other people's injuries. There are no other people's children. The seventh principle leads us right back to the sixth that Jan spoke of today. The goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. Now, to me, world community, like the interdependent web of all existence, is a reality. We live in a world community. The goal is peace, liberty, and justice for all within that community. In other words, just as with interdependence, we can either acknowledge that we live in a world community and act respectfully toward it or not. But it doesn't change the reality or our responsibility. In the midst of the pain that has been experienced and the loss that has been suffered throughout this pandemic, we have been granted a vision of a future we may not have thought possible before. We witnessed the gears of the machine grind to a halt long enough for us to imagine a rebuild, a new way of being together. Who can forget way back in 2020 those astounding before and after photos of a wide variety of commonly polluted urban skylines? They filled the news and social media feeds, and people were saying, this is giving us an opportunity to magically see how much better it can be. Who can forget the cheering for healthcare workers and essential workers, the smiles one can still recognize above the masks, the amazing movement for racial justice and police accountability, the ways thousands of communities and individuals reached out to one another, recognizing even in a time of necessary isolation that we are not isolated beings, but connected in mystery and miracle to the universe, to the world community, to our local communities, to our congregations, to one another. There are no other people's children. There are no other people. 
There will be enormous pressure to forget this spring, Kim Stanley Robinson wrote way back in April of 2020. There will be enormous pressure to forget this spring and go back to the old ways of experiencing life. And yet forgetting something this big never works, he writes. We'll remember this even if we pretend not to. History is happening happening now, and it will have happened. So what will we do with that? How about we turn this great meltdown into the great wake-up? One that breaks us open and waters the seeds of our best selves. If injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, it may also be the case that acts of love anywhere plant seeds for acts of love everywhere. If danger and sickness can travel along this interdependent web of all existence, so can kindness and generosity and open-heartedness rippling out along the web in ways we will never be able to trace, but which carry hope nevertheless. What if we resist the pressure to forget, chart a direction that leads away from normality and toward beloved community, cherishing what has been uncovered in this disruption, holding the lessons of the pandemic close to our hearts so that one day we can look back and say, while the crisis lasted, people loved each other. And then... Well, it just seemed to go viral. And when the crisis was over, they just kept loving. So may it be.